The night may be long and the dark may be deep, but the answers are there to be found. Whether it's the normal, the abnormal, or the paranormal, you're in the right place. Let's go beyond reality. Tonight, Courtney Weber will be with us. She is a witch, a tarot advisor, and an author. We're going to talk about her new book called The Morrigan, Celtic Goddess of Magic and Might. But we're going to talk about a lot, a lot more than that. We're also going to talk about what it means to be a witch. What does that mean when it comes to witchcraft and magic? What does it mean to the people who view you, maybe with a cocked eye? Uh, that's what we're going to chat about tonight. And we're really, really excited about all of that. Please support the program. Go to patreon.com slash Johaw. That's J-O-H-A-W. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. We have a great YouTube channel, and you need to go there and subscribe. Just go to YouTube, search for J.V. Johnson. You'll find the channel. Subscribe to it. It's not only where we have an archive of about 500 back episodes of this program, but we also have bonus content, special content, and then also when we're live and we're streaming live with audio, we have a great chat room as well. We uh, take questions from the chat room. We pay attention to suggestions and uh, comments from our chat room, so it's a great way to be involved in the program. Again, YouTube, just search for J.V. Johnson, you'll find it, subscribe, and you'll be all set. Tonight, we're talking with Courtney Weber. Courtney is a witch, an author, a tarot advisor, and an activist. She's the author of Bridget, History, Mystery, and Magic of the Celtic Goddess, and another book called uh, Tarot for One, The Art of Reading for Yourself. And she's got a, another book coming out called The Morrigan, Celtic Goddess of Magic and Might. Uh, so there's a lot going on. She's also the co-host of That Witch Life podcast. Courtney has produced and designed tarot for uh, of the Burroughs, which is a modern tarot deck in New York City. We're going to have to have her explain that to us because it sounds very interesting. And she's also been featured in the New York Times, in Maxim, in Playboy, the Huffington Post, Vice, and the Tom Hartman Show. You can check out our website at CourtneyAWeber.com. Courtney, welcome to Beyond Reality. It's great to have you here with us tonight. I'm delighted to be here. Thank you for inviting me. You know, before we get into this conversation, I was just, you know, reading a little bit about what you've done. I've got to ask you about this tarot deck, uh, which is about the boroughs of New York. Tell me what this is about. Well, I lived in New York City for 13 years, and... I was reading tarot on the side because when you're in New York City, you have more than one job. It's the way it goes. And I had, um, I would often read for people in very uh, noisy places, um, bars, uh, burlesque clubs, and would have to shout my readings at people. And so it was very easy for me to help them understand the reading by drawing parallels with um, people and situations that they come across every single day. So, for example, if I pulled out, there's a card in the tarot called the King of Pentacles, which is traditionally meant to represent someone who identifies as male, who is also very wealthy, maybe a little bit older. And so if somebody got this card, I might say, hey, this is your boss. Or I'd say, hey, this is going to be you after your promotion. 
And the more I did that, the more I would see characters as I was walking down the street um, and just be embodied by the people that live in, that live in New York. Um, so, for example, I would see uh, you know, a pregnant woman walking a small child. I'd say, well, that's the embodiment of the Empress. So um, in doing, I started working with a photographer, and um, we, we, had, we were both part of this underground art scene in New York City. And we had a lot of uh, very good friends who were willing to model for us. And the um, store, uh, <laughs> word about the project started to get around is some very well-known people asked to be a part of it, including Moby, um, the, the musician and uh, techno artist that many people are familiar with. Um, he, uh, he, was our, he ended up being our king of pentacles <laughs> as, a very, as a, <laughs> uh, the wealthy, successful man. So it's a way of taking these uh, very old traditional archetypes and putting them in a modern face. It's starting to look a little vintage now because the deck's about 10 years old. It kind of is obvious because there's a Blackberry <laughs> in one of the pictures, and they're using landlines instead of cell phones, and um, one woman's looking for an address on a piece of paper instead of on her phone. So uh, very quickly it, it started to look, um, start to look a little bit uh, of its time. Um, but I self-published the deck. And we uh, published about a thousand copies, and I'm pleased to say, and also sorry to say, that we have at least sold out of our run. Wow. I don't have any more that are available, but I found that they are available on eBay um, and on Amazon. So people are interested in uh, collectible decks, um, anything reflecting New York City, or you're a tarot person but are looking for something that's very um, that really speaks to. A contemporary image worth you know, uh, archetypes that you might see um, every day as opposed to somebody dressed like they're from the Renaissance. They're dressed like they're ready for the boardroom or um, the dance club or something like that. So I have to ask you, and this is way premature in our conversation because I had a whole section about talking about tarot with you um, or tarot with you, but I, I we're, we're kind of ahead, but I can't help but ask these questions. So you replaced in the in this tarot deck. You replaced those images that we're used to seeing, as you indicated, uh, kind of these characters in what would be considered Renaissance garb, uh, with images mm-hmm. of modern folks. Uh, you know, assuming basically the role of what the, that archetype might be, and that's what the deck is. So when you're playing, when you're using the t- this tarot deck, and you're putting the cards out in front of you, you're seeing those images that you took and your photographer took of people uh, that you, um, you know, were using as models, if you will, uh, in New York City, and that that replaces those uh, Renaissance images. That's correct. So I've got to ask you this then. Um, it sounds kind of cool, and I love the way it it it, it brings something that might be a little more, little bit more difficult to understand closer to home for people mm-hmm. to kind of grasp. But you're going to have to explain how the the tarot works to begin with, because is there any power in the images themselves in that tarot deck or any tarot deck? Are the images important, or is it just what the images represent? So that's a really good question. So the tarot is a um, a deck of cards. It has 78 cards. As most of us know, uh, our traditional playing cards today have 52 cards. So they are similar. Some of the suits um, have a lot of resonance with the standard playing cards. But there's also an additional set of, of 22 what we call uh, trump cards, or the major arcana, which is um, which goes through... Uh, it talk. It, they really paint the story of a person's life, um, or as some say, that you know, Joseph Campbell's the hero's journey. 
Um, I liken the Fool's Journey a lot. It's like it's often called the Fool's Journey, and I liken it a lot to um, Lord of the Rings or Wizard of Oz, um, where in which the um, the main character in the story starts out on a quest and meets a bunch of people along the way, faces a number of trials, and then reaches their destiny and and finds. Um, it, it achieves what they set out to do. And so when you look at all these cards together, they reflect where you are in your life and they help provide guidance and insight as to what's going on in your life. Um, there are no cards that are really bad. There are no cards that are really great either. It's just like any experience in life. There are uh, benefits and there are challenges to it. I know in the movies, you'll often see a fortune teller using tarot cards and she might, uh, it's always a woman, and she might pull a card for uh, the, the person who has come to see her, and they'll say, oh, this is a bad card, this means bad omens. And in a yeah, tarot reading, that's not necessarily no, you're, true. You're absolutely um, right. I think Hollywood has conditioned us to think that, oh, you know, might get the death card. Is there a death card? Yes, there is a death card. And in some decks, because there is there's a great... See, there's, is there a, there's a misnomer about the tarot and that um, the images have been, the, they have been in one certain way since the tarot was invented about 600 years ago. And that's just not true. The truth is, is that um, tarot was much more of a trick ta- trick-taking game uh, back in Renaissance. It really originated in Renaissance Italy. And most tarot cards were commissioned by independent artists who would um, who would draw um, the cards to with images of the person's family? Um, this is something that only very very wealthy people were able to do, and so it was a way of uh, commemorating and through a number of self portraits um, these cards. And so that we're not looking. There was probably a um, a familiar story to the tarot that everybody knew, uh, very much in the way that we all know the story of Lord of the Rings, even if you haven't seen it you know Frodo takes a ring to Mordor. You just, and that there's, there's a wizard in there and there's, you know, there's elves. But most right. people know the basic premise of Lord of the Rings. Right. And so there, at one time there was a story attached to the tarot this way too, and we've lost that story. Um, we don't really know what the characters meant to Renaissance Italy in the way that we know. We have some, we have some ideas. But it really wasn't until the 20th century that uh, tarot cards began to um, take on a kind of mysticism. Surely they were used as a fortune-telling device, but so were dice and tea leaves and, sure. and, uh, bones. and pretty much anything. Mm-hmm. Yeah, bones, pretty much anything. Mm-hmm. But it wasn't until the 20th century when you had a group of occultists, um, mostly wealthy, sitting around board, um, decided that the tarot actually had uh, secret images that dated back to ancient Egypt, and so they tried to, to bring that out more in what we know now as the uh, Rider-Waite-Smith deck, which is the most common deck and often the one people see most often in um, in movies. That's a long explanation to answer your question about the death card. So, yes, there is a death card. In some decks, that's a scary card. In the, in the more familiar tarot, it is a scary card because it's the Grim Reaper on a horse yeah. mowing down kings and peasants alike, basically yeah. saying it's coming for everybody. You can't stop it. But there are other decks in which um, there's one of my favorite images of death comes from a, um, a deck called the Mother Peace Tarot, in which death you see uh, a skeleton that's quite worn away, curled up in fetal position underneath a tree. And it's just a very natural, gentle-looking death card saying, yeah, this is, it's the end of something. 
So if you're getting a tarot reading and the death card comes up, um, it may mean that uh, something is coming to an end. Um, it could be a change in your job. It may be a change in a relationship. Uh, rarely have I seen it foretell specifically that someone is going to die. Um, I have seen it come up to indicate an inheritance is coming. Um, I've seen it come up to talk about a death that's happened in the past. I think the tarot doesn't want to frighten us. And so I, don't, I've, I have yet to see the death card specifically say someone is going to die. It normally has to do with a transition. And it, it, to be fair, it does represent transitions that don't always feel good. Uh, losing your job never feels good, but sometimes it can lead to a better job. Um, losing a relationship rarely feels good, but it can and often does lead to a better one after that. But those moments feel like deaths in some way when people say, I, what am I going to do? Um, I read for a woman a couple of years ago, and I don't remember the reading, but uh, she wrote to me and said that I, I vaguely remember that she got the death card in her reading, and I told her she was going to have to say goodbye to something. And she wrote to me about three, four months later and said that that, that reading had been accurate. She realized that um, a dream she had been pursuing either wasn't what she wanted anymore or it was no longer feasible for her. And so she did say goodbye to this dream she'd been pursuing for a very long time. And that gave her freedom to pursue something else. So, so uh, um, yeah. So if, so if you, if you pull this particular card and we don't need to necessarily focus on this death card, but I'm curious about it in this instance, when you mm-hmm. pull that, how can you determine whether or not that card at that, at that moment uh, refers to, as you just said, maybe a career change or the person themselves uh, you know, maybe they're, I don't know if it ever indicates that they may have uh, to worry about something physically for themselves. Does it relate to the card pulled before or after? How does that work? I mean, how can you determine where that death card is going to be applied? Well, I often ask, I, I have what they call an anarchistic uh, tarot reader, so I don't really use a traditional spread, a tarot spread, meaning you place this card here and it means this thing, you place this card here and it means that thing. I just put the cards out and I I just talk with them. I've been doing this a very long time. Mm -hmm. So I had that rapport with the tarot. And so if I were to pull um, a a death, so typically if somebody's asking for a reading and and they're not sure where they're going in life, I might say, um, pull a card to ask ask the spirits, can you tell me where this person is in their journey right now? And I would pull one single card. Now, if that card was death, I immediately say, we're at a place of transition. Um, And if this, this um, often to especially to alleviate um, someone's nerves. I'll pull a couple of other cards to accompany and say, "Tell me more about this transition." If I find that a lot of the cards tend to relate to money or material things, uh, I would believe that it's probably having to do something either um, something to do with business or work. If it has, if I get a lot of cards that are about uh, cups which um, represent water and more emotions, I might think this probably has something to do with a relationship. Um, Wands would probably be something about health or passion. And uh, swords might be about, um, might be similar to the young woman's reading I was just talking about and that that there was direction and drive, but then that's something's been, the battle has been ended. So what was the battle is when we start to unpack and find some really interesting interesting thing. So uh, to answer your question, it does have a lot to do with the other cards that are pulled. So if I, what if I were to ask you, if I say, um, Courtney, I want a one card reading and I want to know about my health and you pull the death card, should I be concerned? Um, 
probably then definitely pull some other cards to see what. Okay, so you'd look for what clarification. Are, what are we worried about? So the first thing I'd yeah. say is is that if you got the death card and say there's there's a reason to pause, and that there's a chance that you need to give something up, um, or there's there the cards want you to change direction. Interesting. Um, and again, I didn't mean to lead this conversation talking so much about the tarot, but um, what about the future? Does can you? Uh, through a, a tarot card reading, predict somebody's future or or maybe just the future in general? Um, yes, yes, you can. And I, I can be wary about um, focusing too much on people's future because they get very wrapped up in it. I have some clients that um, they want to know all the details about the person they're going to marry. And so I start pulling cards and start telling them what I see. And if there's any piece of that puzzle that they don't necessarily like, they start to get very upset thinking that their life is going to be unhappy because there's one detail that the cards say is about the person they're going to meet. And I have to remind them, you don't know what's coming and you don't know where your life's going to be. Um, You know, when I met my husband, I had already sworn off long distance relationships. I said, there's no way I'm doing another long distance relationship. It's too hard. And if somebody had looked at my my future and said, well, you're going to be in a long distance relationship. I would have said, forget it. No. And I would have been angry um, and angry at the reading and angry at the situation. But when I met my husband, he was absolutely worth the distance and our schedules were compatible. So that made it work. And it wasn't that hard. You know, of course we missed each other, but we found that, you know, it, it, it we, we, we hit a good rhythm. And so I try to tell people that like, don't be too upset when you hear, hear aspects about your future that don't sound like what you want because you're not there yet and you don't know what, how your life is going to, to gently shift and accommodate some of the things that perhaps you don't think can be accommodating um, and, and that kind of thing. So, and, uh, so, but, but it was very funny. I, um, I had somebody come back to me recently because he had asked about a woman he was, what his romantic future was like. And I don't remember this reading, but he told me, that I had told him a certain woman was coming and that she would have a child of about a certain age and um, the child would have a couple of health issues and that the two of them together would hit it off really well, but the relationship would be very difficult and would ultimately end. And there were a couple of other specifics that I'm not recalling at the moment, but apparently every single one of those things came true. And he didn't want to believe it at first because when he met this woman, he really liked her. So he's like, well, she couldn't have been right about all the the problems. But then as he got deeper into the relationship, everything that the tarot had warned him about was was coming to fruition. Um, It's a little harder when it comes to world events. Um, I have pulled cards to see about about, uh, the future with climate change and the future with other things. And you get a very uh, very mixed picture. And – that can sometimes those cards can be the scariest that I've seen when I'm looking at what's happening in the future. But I think also I have to remind myself there's a lot of context I'm missing. I don't know where humanity is going to be and how we're going to be addressing the challenges that I see in the cards. And it may be um, not nearly as um, insurmountable as it seems. Um, Where does the power come from? Where does the direction come from that allows these cards to offer this type of guidance? Well, here we are talking about on a show called Beyond Reality, so I'm sure your many of your listeners will be uh, on the same page here. Um, the truth is, is that I don't know. I do believe that there are uh, spirits that walk among us, and I do believe that if when you can use build the tarot as a tool, 
it's a, it's a tool that the spirits can use to communicate with you. Um, but I, um, every time I've started to go in the direction where I think that the tarot is just what you make it, it's like an ink blot test, and that I start to kind of move into the more agnostic atheist realm, something will happen in which no rational explanation can that it comes down to that the most rational explanation is that there are spirits making it work because you just can't think of another reason. Yeah. And one of my primary stories about this was um, uh, a number of years ago, back when I was still reading in the burlesque clubs, um, I was reading for one of the dancers that I hadn't seen her in a really long time and was, uh, was like, Oh, come on over here. I'll, I'll read your cards. And she sat down and, um, the cards kept showing cards about the mo- about mothers and cards of warning. So there was just kept saying, warning, mother, warning, mother, warning, mother. And I, I said, how's your mom doing? She's like, she's fine. She saw her today. She's great. And I, and I said, okay, well, the cards, cards seem worried about her. Are you sure she's all right? Oh, yeah, she's fine. You know, pull some more cards. Same thing. It repeated over and over again that there was something very, very wrong with a mother figure. And um, eventually I apologized to her and I said, I think I'm off my game tonight or I'm picking up on someone else's reading because I just can't seem to get them to say anything else. And you say that they're not, they're mistaken. And she was fine. She went along. But later that week, her mother got a cancer diagnosis. So this wasn't on her mind. This wasn't even on her mother's mind. And it certainly wasn't on mine. But the tarot was like, you need to take care of your mom. And they were screaming about it. Yeah. So, um, Another time, I <laughs> this was one of my favorite stories. Um, my husband and I uh, laugh at this one quite a bit. Um, I ha- was seeing a, a woman I'd never met before came to um, our home for a reading, and my husband was in the kitchen, and I'm sitting in the living room reading to her. And um, it kept saying that there was um, justice regarding the past. Justice and the past. It just kept saying over and over again she needed justice for her past. And I asked her about it, and I said, what is, what is it that you need justice for with regards to your past? And she said, nothing. I don't have that issue. And we kept talking, and she kept asking about when she was going to meet someone. Same card said justice for the past. She could not have love until she got justice for the past. And I just said, I, let's talk a little bit more about your last relationship, because they keep saying that there's something about justice. And she says, no, he's fine. We're friends. Sometimes he does break into my apartment and he's in my bed naked when I come home. <laughs> but, and I went, oh, what? Said, yeah, he climbs up the fire escape and he comes in the window. And I, I never know what it's going to be. <sighs> and he just, he, he, sometimes he threatens me that he's going to kill himself or kill me if I date someone else. And I said, okay, oh so the my. justice for the past is a card just saying you need a restraining order against your ex. Right. <laughs> wow. <laughs> When she left, my, my poor husband came out of the kitchen, looked at me like, did I just hear what I think I heard? Because that sounds really terrible. <laughs> wow. Yeah. I so, mean, I, 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 how do you handle something like that? I mean, obviously, now all of a sudden you feel you, you feel for the woman's safety uh, in addition know, to all of that. It, you know, there's, there's only so much that you can do. Yeah. Um, if the person does not want help, there's really nothing that you can do. Now, if she had come to me and she were in tears, she's like, I can't go home because I think he's going to be there. Right. Then we would have been like calling, figuring out resources together. But she, 
actually seemed kind of excited by it. And she's like, well, you know, whatever. And didn't seem like it was something she wanted to address. Um, so as a reader, I have learned very quickly not to get personally invested in my yeah. client's choices. Now, this doesn't mean that I don't care or I don't care about them, but it also means that I'm going to tell them what I see and they're going to take my advice or not. And so if I, if I sit around and I worry, oh, God, is she going to go back to him after I told her what would happen, then um, I'm going to make myself crazy. And it's, off, it's their life. If that's the life they want to lead and they want to make those kind of mistakes, it's on them and it's okay. Yeah, I mean that's otherwise it would eat you up. I mean, obviously, you know, it would yeah. eat you up. I mean, there's 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 days when it gets hard. Um, this this next story is um, has a bit of violence to it. Should, is it okay for your audience, or should I? No, I think hold it's off? good. We're a late night audience. Let's go for it. Okay, so just content warning for anybody who doesn't want to hear about a violent situation. Um, very sweet young woman also came to see me a few years ago, and, and she wanted to um, talk about a number of things in her life, including love. And um, she sat there with a little smile on her face as I was reading for her. And I looked down and I, I said, and it, it, what it said is that her ex had stolen something from her of great value. And um, I told her, I said, I told her what I saw. And she just kind of smiled. And she said, yes, I was pregnant and he beat me until I miscarried. And then he went out and celebrated while I was in the hospital. Oh, my God. And I, and I said, Oh, okay. Well, that is something stolen that was of great value because uh, she it was a wanted pregnancy uh, for her anyway, and um, and she was struggling because her family was trying to push her to forgive him, and she wasn't ready to forgive him. And I think she was looking for someone to say, I, "You don't have to forgive him," and that's what she got from me. I hope. <laughs> I hope, regardless of whether she was considering or not, he, she was doing it all, uh, you know, with bars between her and she, he, and he was in prison. Did he go to jail for that? I don't remember. Wow. I think. I think he may have. I, it's. It's been a long time since we had since I read for this woman. So yeah, I, wherever yeah. she is, I hope Whoa, that she is. What a, what well a, and safe. Yeah, yeah. What a story. So, yeah, it's it's sometimes as a tarot reader, um, as I say, I, I oftentimes I find my, I've if you find yourself um, saying uh, this is way above my pay grade, especially when I was uh, working the psychic hotline and was getting phone calls from all over the world. Oh my um, god! Of people, it, you know, and and um, a lot of glimpses into what's going on in our United States of America and different places and. I had people come at me online uh, saying, you know, you're a fraud, and if you want to help people, you should become a psychologist. And I said, right, you know what? There are people – I said, this is – first, you're assuming I've got money for school like that. Yeah. Um, second of all, you're assuming that if I do that, that I'll still be able to be available to these people. Um, you know, right. finance, financial re- – when I was really poor and I was uh, – and I needed, uh, 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 you know, talk therapy, it was very hard to get. Yeah. Um, and, and so it's, um, sometimes you just need someone to hold your secrets. Um, and the tarot reader is, is in a way like a priest, but we don't have any code of judgment. Um, you know, that's something when I was growing up Catholic, you, you go nail in the box, you tell your the priest your deepest secrets, and then you're supposed to feel better. But there's always a sense in which you knew he had a code of how you were supposed to behave. Right. You went to see the priest because you knew you'd already broken that code. Right. Um, the tarot reader, it's, it's not that. And I've had people come to me crying because they're, they're 
they're dating a married man and they feel terrible about it. And I'm just like, sweetheart, you're not telling me anything I haven't heard already tonight from someone else. So you're not the worst person in the world that you're in a painful situation, but we're going to talk through it. You know, I, I'm already, I'm, I've, I've already determined that we probably should have scheduled scheduled you for the whole week because you've got a lot of great <laughs> things to talk about. I have one more question about uh, tarot before we go to break here, and when we come back, I want to get into talking about what it's like to be a witch. But um, this death card that we kind of opened this conversation up on, uh, mm-hmm. who did you convince to play that character to be photographed for your deck uh, that relates to New York City? Did you pick someone special out? You know, it's funny. Um, I did pick someone special out, but I didn't have to ask anyone. So the in, the um, the inspiration for the death card was with the street side memorials that I would often see in my neighborhood. So in um, many places in New York, especially um, uh, older neighborhoods that um, that have, have have not been gentrified, if somebody passes away in a building, there will normally be a shrine out on the sidewalk um, with pictures and people can leave flowers and they'll light candles. And just to let people know that somebody who lived in the building had passed away and it's a, it's a, a community way for people to honor that death. And so um, I built one and with um, pictures of a friend of mine who had been an actress and she passed away um, a couple of years before that. So um, I built her a shrine out on the sidewalk and we lit candles, and it was actually it was a wonderful rainy night. So something about rain and, and seeing umbrellas in the background, um, and that that to me encapsulated so much of New York City. And a friend, and I, I did not live in New York City during 9/11, but a very good friend of mine did, and she said that the death card in our deck really struck her because after 9/11, there were those memorials everywhere, and so that that um, image really punched her in the in the soul. Because she, that was real. And if you live in New York uh, for any period of time, you're, you're going to see one of those shrines. And um, so that was my death card. Tonight we're talking with Courtney Weber. Courtney is a witch, an author, and a tarot advisor, also an activist. She's got several books to her credit, including The Morrigan, Celtic Goddess of Magic and Might. Now, Courtney, just so I understand, is The Morrigan uh, yet to be released or has it been released already? It's actually been released. It came out in November. Okay, so it's been out for a few months then. Okay, and where yeah. where are all your books available? Just so we get that out of the way. Um, well, I always tell people to please go to your independent bookstores first and ask for them. Um, if they don't carry them, then they may be able to order them for you, but it's really important that we support our local shops. Um, they are available on Amazon. Make that your second choice if you can't get it um, from an independent bookseller. And um Depending on where you are in the country, you may be able to get it at Barnes and Nobles. Some Barnes, I learned this: Barnes and Nobles are zoned differently depending on the area. So, if you live in the Bible Belt, Barnes and Nobles will not be carrying my book. Interesting. Yeah. <laughs> they don't do it. Wow. But if you're um, in uh, on, the, on the West Coast or in the Northeast, you're likely to find it at Barnes and Noble. But again. Uh, try your local metaphysical bookstore first or independent bookstore, and if they don't have it, you know, order it online or see if um, see if the bookstore has it. And just um, whatever you do, it's really helpful to authors if you can rate and review the book, um, especially if you like it. You don't have to like it to review it, but especially if you do, it's really, really helpful. 
You know, uh, just to follow up on your point, supporting our local, uh, whether they're mom and pop or independent bookstores, is very, very important. And I don't stop just at bookstores. I say this about every kind of retail store. I mean, we've watched the decimation of our main streets and our downtowns in all communities. Um, It's not just the Internet that's doing it. There's a lot of factors. However, any time that you can support one of your local retailers, just like Courtney, I highly recommend it as well. It's that important, isn't it, Courtney? It really is, and it's, you know, we um, we have, my husband and I have a very large dog, and we have two very needy cats, and we do order our pet food from um, Chewy because it, um, <laughs> it helps save us some money in the long run, but for everything else that we need for our pets, we go to an independent pet store um, because they know our pets, they know what they need, um, and then you can, it's a chance to ask people questions like, should I look at this harness or that one? It's one thing to look online and read reviews. It's something else to actually talk to a professional who can help you make the best choice for what your needs are. And, um, you know, when you buy from a, um, an independent store, you know, you're supporting someone's health insurance. You're ensuring that their lights stay on and that their kids can have ballet lessons and those things, whereas you're going to a, a big chain um, you're, you know, where people are, are being paid very, very little, you're, you're lining a CEO's pocket. So you ask yourself, where would you rather have your money go? Let's talk, let's, uh, talk about what I had intended to start our conversation with tonight, and that is the idea of being a witch. So let's start with the definition of the word witch. What is the definition to you? Oh, gosh. You know, it's, it's so funny. Um, on my podcast, we ask everybody when they first come on the show how they knew they were a witch. And um, the story it's the stories are all so very different, but they have a very similar through line in that they just knew somehow that they were a little different, that they saw the world in a different way, um, that they felt that there was a presence of something there that, that wasn't. Um, to me, being a witch is um, being in touch with with the unseen and um, and having a gift to be able to uh, receive messages from that unseen. Um, I know for me, I've, I've been able to sense the presence of spirit since I was very little. Um, I've always been someone who has prophetic, who's had prophetic dreams, and um, so I, in that way, I, you know, I always knew that things were different. Um, and you know, I, I felt that there was a, a power and a magic to the world um, that was shaped through my faith and through spirit, but I wasn't quite getting there through the religions of my youth. Um, I was trying. I really believe that it was possible, but I just I couldn't quite get there. Um, so I, uh, I I I think that that might be something that a lot of people relate to. Um, I especially felt the presence of uh, of a divine spirit or or other or many different spirits when I was in places of very great wild beauty, such as uh, the Pacific Ocean um, or the mountains or being in the forest, it felt like there was, there was something, a presence there with me looking after me or, you know, communicating with me and that sort of thing. So, yeah, that makes sense to your listeners. I'm not sure. I'm not sure I got an understanding of what the definition is though. I mean, I, I get what you're saying and you, and you say the people who identify this way have these, uh, sensitivities, these feelings, these observations, and uh, a bit of a sense that they don't, kind of fit into the uh, what we might call the mainstream but i mean the def- the definition for a very long time was one that was created by uh religion obviously that's not mm-hmm. what you're talking about so what is the definition do you, I mean, am i pressing that a little too hard no you're not pressing it too hard but i think it's um 
I, I think the definition is very broad, mm-hmm. and it depends on who you ask. So it's, I guess to say it's a very subjective term. Um, to me, at the right. end of the day, someone who, um, who casts spells and practices magic uh, and working with spirits is a witch. There's a lot of people okay. now using the term witch, and um, I don't really have a problem with it, but I don't fully agree with it. Um, with when it comes to feminism or art or um, even uh, rebellion against patriarchy, and all of those things are, are wonderful. But if somebody is not actually casting spells and that invoking spirits in order to make change in the in the lives of themselves, the lives lives around them, then they're not a witch. Um, they may be witchy. They may be witch adjacent, um, but to me, a witch, a, a witch, a, a, the basic definition of being a witch is someone who is actually practicing magic, casting spells in order to make change. Okay, that's that. That helps. One of the things I noticed on your website, as when you kind of define yourself on the website, you don't use the word witch in 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 the in the beginning of the definition. In fact, you use Wiccan priestess. So, mm-hmm. is, are those interchangeable? You know, for it's that again. That's up for debate. Uh, it, it, what Wicca as a religion really came into be in the um, early 20th century, and it seemed to it was an attempt to find a religion for people who identified as witches. Um, and it comes from the term witcha, which is an old English term that loosely means um, like a, a magical person, as some might now call a, a shaman. Um, that's a very uh, loose connection, but probably the best one that I can come up with right now. And so, or basically just someone who's considered a magic maker. And um, it was it was thought that the word witch came from that. I'm not sure if that's exactly the etymology of it, but it really was attempt an attempt to uh, build a religion based on um, based on witchcraft. And in uh, my 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 journey through um, uh, witchcraft and the Wiccan religion has taken a lot of t- twists and turns over the last few years. Um, it was easier for me for a long time to. I, mean, I am a Wiccan priestess. I, you know, I've been initiated in that in, uh, in Wiccan traditions and you know ordained as a priestess in them. So that's that is correct. Um, but in, for many years, I lost touch with um, with witchcraft in many ways. It was just focusing on. Uh, running rituals and running a religion and being basically being a minister, and um, I, I lost touch with what I was, was supposed to do. And so, it's in the last couple of years, I've been um, I've been less of a an organized religious figure and more of, of back to the, the witchcraft. And once again, but it is I am careful how I post it, especially on my website because people have different uh, expectations. I'm right. fortunate in that I haven't dealt with a lot of. Um, vitriol and once in a while but mostly it's um people uh asking for uh very extreme things that i don't want to be involved with um i did have somebody email me from india asking if i would i would cast a spell to cause to cause his father's death Ooh. <laughs> um yeah he wanted him to die so he could have his inheritance so he could oh, move my. to the united states yeah <laughs> And um, I, don't, I don't, I don't really need that kind of attention from people like that. So I, um, it, it's, it's, um, it's been more recent that I've been coming back into the more the, the witch term. But there's, um, there's a very specific demographic that can be drawn by using that term. So I'm, I'm careful when I when I put it out there. You were talking. You gave us a, a nice description of how somebody might uh, realize that they're a witch or want to identify as a witch. 
Um, and you talked about feeling a little bit out of place, maybe having some sensitivities, recognizing things uh, in the world around them that others might not recognize. When did all that happen for you? I feel like it's always been that way. Um, my dad says that even when I was a very little girl, I saw. he said I saw the world differently than other people did. And um, I used to try to cast spells in my bedroom, try to get my, try to, you know, I cast spells on my stuffed animals, try to get them to come to life. Um, Did it work ever? (laughs) Did it ever work, Courtney? It it... never worked. It never worked. Um, There's a family story about how we we moved from Tennessee to Oregon when I was six years old and I really missed my friends. Um, And I, I, I don't know where, but I started to believe fervently that it would be possible for me to walk through my closet and into Tennessee if I could just find this one key that would unlock this magic portal in my closet. And when my sister and I were um, visiting our grandmother in California, um, we found a key in one of her junk drawers that has tea on it. So we were like, oh, my God, this must be the key to Tennessee. And so you can imagine how hard a 10-hour drive is for a 4-year-old and a 6-year-old anyway. But when that four-year-old and six-year-old believe they have a magic key, that at the end of the 10-hour drive, there's a magic portal in their closet, I, that was a really, really difficult day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, and, understandably. Yeah, but, <laughs> and so we, go, we got home, and we raced upstairs, and we flung up on my closet door, and there was no portal. <laughs> Um, and my little sister was trying to twist the air with the key, maybe that it was, it was an invisible door. And I think we, I think we visited every closet in the house trying to find that portal and we did it, but it, the world didn't get less magical for me that day. If nothing else, I think it just kept me chasing it. But what I have, you know, what I would tell my, my six-year-old self now is that magic doesn't defy the law of physics and you may, um, uh, this key to Tennessee may actually just mean that you're going to hear from your old friends or that this key is going to help you stay in communication with them. It's going to keep those channels open so you don't lose touch with them. Um, so even though you can't walk through your closet and end up in Tennessee, you can still use magic to keep those relationships alive. Um, so, and, and when I, and um, I think coming back to your question of how I just knew that I was different, um, I was able to summon spirits. If I wanted to, um, you know, I could, I, and I, uh, had a couple of things manifest a few times as, you know, when I was a child, um, I was able to, you know, ask the spirits, make the phone ring, the phone would ring, right. And there'd be nobody on the other line, you know, on the other end, mm-hmm. um, or, you know, and, um, um, but as, as I got older, it was more about that. I, um, I could look at somebody and I could know what had happened to them. And be able to read, just basically look at them and say, this is what's happened to you. Um, I don't do that so much anymore because I, find, I think that's very invasive. So I've, I've shut those portals down. I just open them up when it comes time to do the tarot. But there was a sense of just knowing things um, before, they, before they happened and, or after they had happened and nobody, nobody could have told. I need to ask you Uh, more about this ability to have spirits uh, manifest. Did they actually, could you actually make them materialize in front of you? Could you see them? No, but that was, that was something I specifically didn't want to happen because I was, as much as I wanted communication with spirits, I was also very afraid of them. So um, I would, it's um, uh, actually just a few years ago, I was doing a, um, 
um, some trance work with one of my teachers in which the exercise involves going into the spirit world and um, crossing a bridge. And when I went down there, apparently my bridge had been uh, blown apart by what looked like an Uzi. So, because when I was a kid, I had, I felt them, but I was so afraid of seeing one. I'm like, I don't want to see, I don't want to see, I don't want to see. So I, I coded that with spirit world. Like, I'm, I don't materialize in front of me. Find another way to let me know you're here, but I do not want to see you. Um, and for the most part, that worked. There have been a couple of times I've seen things um, that were like, okay, yep, that was real. Yeah. <laughs> but... Um, and me, the spirits and I have a have a good uh, relationship now where I prefer that if they want to talk to me, it's in um, they come in a dream in a way that doesn't scare me. Um, so that's how we communicate for the most of the time now is if, if I I will normally just uh, will speak when I sleep. Do you when you say you communicate with spirits, obviously you, you could connect with them and you could ask them to show you signs of their presence, that kind of thing. But, you know, a medium will actually have what they would consider to be conversations with spirits. Do you are you able to do those types of things? Um, I have. It's very draining. And so I don't do it a lot. Um, but I there, especially in very extreme circumstances. I know there, there was um, one friend of mine who um, was. I forget what why we decided to do this, but I did this massive healing on her um, where she was just all locked up, and um, we I performed a ritual for her, and she started crying, and she realized that she was very, just at her core, very angry, and she had never been angry before. She said that that's one emotion she had managed to push away and hide behind sadness, frustration, what have you, but the anger really flooded in. And it came from her, and she said... Um, that it started when she had not been allowed to go to her grandfather's funeral when she was very little. Um, and, and I, all of a sudden I heard like an old man say, tell her pandas, say pandas. And I looked at her and I said, pandas. And she started laughing because she had worn a t-shirt with pandas on it on the day of her grandfather's funeral when her mother had made her go to school instead of coming to his, instead of going to his service. And so that memory had really been locked in her, and that was a way of her grandfather letting her know through me that he he saw her, he was there with her, and he remembered her, and that, you know, because that was something that was so key to her. How does that ability, that uh, connection with the spirit world, factor into your life as a witch or as a Wiccan priestess, are, are the two necessarily codependent, or are they two very independent things? Um, well, the spirit talking with me as a witch is definitely um, is, is is definitely they're they're related because I just don't think that witches are witches if they don't have some kind of communication with the spirit world. Um, it doesn't mean that every witch is a medium. It doesn't mean that every one of them has um, auditory conversations with spirits. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's, that I'm going to say that's, is, that's a little unusual. I, I've talked to a lot of witches on the program, and I, this is the first time I've, I've talked to uh, someone who uh, talks about being witch but also has this medium angle to it as well. Yeah, I mean, it's funny because I know a lot of witches who are mediums, but oh. uh, I think that there's got to be some kind of connection with the spirit world. And maybe it's not even the human dead. There's a lot of great witches out there that their communication is more with plant or animal spirits um, or with uh, other divine beings. 
Um, and I can, I call all of that as part of the spirit world. Yeah. Um, yeah, for me, a lot of it is, um, is with the ancestors and the, and the dead, um, because I, I do feel that there's, um, there's a really wonderful, uh, there's a really wonderful book. Oh gosh, if I could just remember what it was called. It's on my shelf over here. It'll come to me in a second. Uh, oh, I can see it. Um, it's, it's kind of, it's an old, the, the language this is old, so it's, it's, it's pretty insulting and condescending and colonialist, um, but it's called Primitive Mythology, uh, The Masks of God, and it's by Joseph Campbell. Um, and, you know, I wasn't crazy about all the things that Joseph Campbell said. Again, this is, uh, uh, white man wrote this in like the 1930s or 40s or even earlier than that. And so, um, yeah, much, much earlier than that. So there's a very... Uh, cultural and um, a, t- uh, a time stamp on this that is not as, as friendly today. However, what I do like about the book is that he interviews a number of, um, of priests of indigenous faith, and almost all of them, um, they're, it, it's, it's traced back to communication and honoring their ancestors. Um, and to me, that is the oldest form of human deity worship is this connection with, uh, with the people who have gone before you. Um, so I, I feel like Abrahamic faiths are probably a very, uh, are kind of a break from that. Um, and this belief that the, that the God is kind of disembodied from uh, the planet and the, the, the world's experience. But, um, you know, the it, going back until since humans first climbed out of trees and started walking upright, we've been communicating, honoring our dead and therefore communicating with them. Um, and so I feel that what I do in communicating with, um, with spirits and with, with ancestors is, um, is replicating this, this incredibly ancient tradition in human history. And now we, we may call it, um, we may call it the, the realm of the witches, um, in a different culture or a different time and what to call it something else. But again, tonight we're talking with Courtney Weber. Her website is her name, CourtneyAWeber.com. Was I right, Courtney? Is the A a middle initial? Yes, the middle name is Allison. Really great Southern name when I was in trouble as a little girl. Courtney Allison. <laughs> so it's CourtneyAWeber.com. That's the website. A lot of great stuff there. I want to ask about uh, being a witch again. I want to know, is that something that you think you're born with that, I don't know what it's called, a propensity, or is it something that you learn along the way? both. Um, I liken it to singing. Um, some people are born with just phenomenal um, singing voices. They yeah. can just, they, you know, they're, they're prodigies. They're incredible. Some people are more, are born with some uh, real raw ability that they can hone and shape and become very, very good. And there are some people that are always going to struggle with it, but uh, it, they probably still have one karaoke song that they will get everybody to cheer for them if they pull it out, <laughs> and they can all certainly join in with with Happy Birthday or a good Christmas carol. So everybody can do it. Um, some people are born with more ability than others, and most people can, with some work, can um, can get to a place where it's a usable tool for them. I find that I'm probably someone who's in the middle. I wouldn't say that I'm one of these these. Uh, these prodigy witches that are just like blow your mind all of their lives. They, they have these, these very powerful um, abilities, but um, you know, I was born with stability and I've done okay with it. So I, I, I'd say I'm, I'm the same in the middle. What, what is the, what is the ability component of this? Is that the ability to affect magic? Is it the ability to connect with the spiritual world? Where, what's the ability part? 
I think that I think it's absolutely. Um, so I, I think that there um, are some people who were born in which they're um, they're aware of spirits and talking to spirits from a very early age. I find that the more the more gifted someone is with their with their abilities, like the more open they are to spirits, the more they've been seeing them since they were younger, the more they tend to reject the gift. And they don't they don't want anything to do with it, and they they don't talk about it. They don't um, they tend to you know to shut it down, and they don't want anything. They did they don't want it. I find the people who um, really embrace the term witch and start you know start um, researching and learning how to cast spells and actually doing the magic are people who are more in the middle. They have they're born with some some ability, and it um, it's made them curious and thirst for more because uh, they're not drowning in it. So they're the ones that end up doing a lot of of, um, of the magic work, but uh, yeah, there are some people that um, I think that the the ability to um, to see and communicate with spirits is more common than perhaps the ability to um, to cast spells and uh, make them happen. But you know, every everybody, um, especially in this, this in the pre-industrial age or in you know out in the country where you're not so um, absorbed with. Um, the, the vibrations of city life. Most people know someone who, if they pray over you, you're going to get better, right? Um, or if um, you, there's there's there, there's belief that some people have a certain touch where if they um, they uh, can uh, rub a rub a blister or they uh, lick a burn and they can heal it. They just have that ability. Those, those people are called there. those people are called moms. Just by the way. <laughs> well. <laughs> Yeah, and some, but it's like I, when I was in Ireland, there were stories about um, healers who could uh, remove tumors just by um, oh, yeah. by placing their hands on someone in the right way. Or there was um, a story of a woman who could cure uh, cure warts, I think, by licking them. Um, so if you had a wart, that you go see her and Ooh. she licked the wart. Ooh. I know it's, it sounds pretty <laughs> awful, but she had this ability. She if she licked the wart, then the wart would heal. Uh, there was wow. just something in her that had that had this ability that we someday we may find that her saliva contained a specific chemical that was um, was you know just was the right the right composition for getting rid of a wart right um, or she may have just had that specific um, healing ability and I've, I've heard of stories about uh, faith healers that were strong enough where if um, somebody's in the hospital, they would call the phone and somebody would hold the phone over the sick person and just them praying through the phone would, uh, would cause this person to heal. Um, you know, so sometimes you've also heard about people who are um, weather witches and that when they get angry, they can cause a storm, right? Or when they're happy, they can bring the sun out. Um, so there, there's stories about people who are just able to just do things. Um, I knew a witch who said that she was always... Um, she had a kind of energy that got people pregnant really easily. So, like if she, if wow. somebody wanted to get pregnant, they just go meet, meet up with her, shake their, shake her hand, and if they had 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 a hard time getting pregnant before, they could just go get pregnant now. You know, so she just she said she tried to change it to be like I'm going to turn this into fertility of the pocketbook, so I can you know create more money in people's lives. And she's like, it doesn't work. She says, I can people, I help people make babies. She says, I don't know, being around me, people get pregnant, but. Um, you know, or if I, if I think, if they ask me, if they tell me they want to get pregnant, I'll just think about them and then they will. Um, but she says, I can't make it work with money though. (laughs) (laughs) That's too bad. Um, tell us what happened to you when you were 20 on your 20th birthday, you had kind of a, a, an important moment in your life. Yeah. Um, so I was in New Hampshire. I was, um, in college and I went to college in my hometown. 
Um, and I was um, so very uh, ready to get out of town and wanted to explore the world. So I applied for a, um, a, jo- a summer job at a theater company as far away as I could possibly get, which <laughs> was New Hampshire. And um, it, it actually was a very lonely summer for me. It was my first time away from home, and I um, I struggled with homesickness far more than I'd imagined, which yeah. is very funny considering how badly I'd wanted to get out of town. It it, um, it was actually very disorienting for me. Um, and I had a hard time connecting with people. I think I might have come across as very needy, and um, so people really just weren't into, into uh, connecting. And so I spent a lot of time out in the woods. I thought, you know, if I can't, make human friends. I'm going to make friends with these trees. And, um, I was just sitting in a tree, um, one day and it was my 20th birthday. I said, so what am I going to do now that I'm 20? Maybe it's time to find my religion. And cause I had really let go of, uh, my Catholic upbringing. And, um, and so then I just kind of remember looking up at the tree and said, am I a witch? And I felt like this excitement in the air around me as if all the spirits were like, thank God, she finally figured it out. And I was suddenly just elated. And I went running back in um, to the theater and started hugging everybody, which I'm sure was annoying. But I was just full of this joy because I figured out what to call myself. Um, I, it just it suddenly clicked. I imagined that um, uh, people who are, are, you know, trying to anyone who's had, you know, questions about their identity, whether it's um, about a religion, a political affiliation, or um, you know, even a um, a sexual orientation, the, the moment when it clicks, um, you know, there's there's joy, there's also fear. You know, what what am I going to do? How do I tell people this? Um, what does this mean for me? Right. Right. Um, you know, what what, my, what are my parents going to say? But it's also the sense of I know myself now. Did you get right. any backlash? Um, you know, I kind of trickled out of the closet and my the, out of the broom closet. And my parents um, uh, figured it out, and at first they were concerned because they were, but they were also very devout capitalists, and so they were very afraid that I was never going to get a job, um, or that I was, um, you know, people were going to think I'm weird. I was never. I'm sorry. Did, did you and say just, devout capitalists or Catholics? Yes. Oh, devout capitalists. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, um, and so I, I think for a long time they were because I fe- I discovered this in college about me, and they were afraid that I was going to wreck my college career. Well, I, I graduated with honors, so well there goes that concern. <laughs> and then they were afraid I wasn't going to get a job. Well, I got a job immediately after school in my field. Okay, well there goes that concern. Um, and then they were I um, I applied to a number of grad schools for creative writing and didn't get into any of them. And my mom said it was because. Well, it's because they didn't want to read anything witchy. And I said, I didn't write anything witchy. Um, and so it has nothing to do with that. The reason I didn't get into grad school is as I just, but my portfolio wasn't what they were looking for. And so, yeah, well, there goes that. And then um, I, uh, they're, they're saying, well, you're never going to meet anybody. You know, no, you're not going to meet anybody of substance. Nobody's going to want to date you or marry you if you're a witch. Well, then I met my husband, who was wonderful, and he was everything that, that uh, that, uh, that uh, you know a parent would want for their their child you know good steady job um, fam- family oriented takes care of his mom and he's also a witch <laughs> <laughs> so they're like okay well there goes that you know they just couldn't they just couldn't um, uh, they, every time they were worried about something it just 
it was it would you know become something else. So then my mom would say, "Well, I'm worried about how people are going to perceive you." But then her friends started to come to me for tarot readings. So there goes that. <laughs> just like, finally, I think she just gave up and, and was like, I think was often worried. And my, and my family, both sides of my, of my extended family are very, very conservative. Uh, we're the most liberal branch of all of them. And, um, you know, and so um, uh, many of them were, were nervous for me. Some of them, I think, are probably still praying for my soul. They're afraid that um, something bad will happen to me upon my death. At the same time, you know that's um, it. I I I'm a good I'm a good relative. I show up and I behave myself at family gatherings. I take care of my grandmothers, and so their concerns don't you know don't match match reality, right? Um, so and, and I've had um, I've had backlash over the years, and it's come in strange ways. Um, in the last few years, being a witch is, is, is now very cool. So um, I've had people mock it. They thought it was silly. They thought it was, you know, they, they thought it was being uh, ridiculous or, um, you know, I mean, like I said, witchcraft is very cool now. When I first came into witchcraft, it was probably the dorkiest, uncoolest thing you could possibly be up there with being a LARPer or a Red Fair enthusiast which I also think both of those things are extremely cool. But <laughs> at the time, those things were the most uncool things that could possibly somebody could be. Now all those things are considered awesome. But when, you know, you're first coming into this um, and, uh, you know, you get people that are, um, they, they want to try to trick you. They want to try to um, make yourself look like a fraud um, and, you know, say, well, you have to tell me something about myself that nobody knows. And I said, it's not a party trick. I'm not doing that. I'm not sure. I mean, I'm not, I'm not here to prove myself to you. Right. Um, and, uh, you know, I, atheists get mad at religion anyway, but I feel like they get really mad at, at, at witchcraft in particular. And I think it's because of a lack of understanding of, of thinking that witches believe they can transcend physics. And I certainly don't. Um, I think that, that physics and magic and science are all really good friends. And I don't see why any reason why I'm, I'm not, you know, so once you know, sit down with, uh, with someone who's um, is an atheist, very scientific-minded, we find that we actually have quite a bit in common in seeing the world in very similar ways. Um, and I remember once I um, was in a cab with a friend who'd had a little too much to drink, and although um, she was very artistic and very progressive in many ways, her Pentecostal upbringing had never fully left her. And so she was, you know, pretty deep in her bottle, and she looked at me and she goes, you know, I'm not supposed to be friends with someone like you. And I was just like, why? And she said, because of what you do. And I said, you don't know anything about what I do. And she goes, well, I don't want to know, but I just know what I know. And it was really hurtful. Yeah. Because it's like, I was like, oh. right. And, um, and sometimes I feel like people uh, tend to put that on display a bit. I've, I've tried to tell some of my friends who are not, you know, not into witchcraft, like, please don't make that face the first thing that you tell people about me when you when they meet me. Because one, I don't want to have to sit here and explain it every single time. I'm just, you know, shaking hands with somebody. And second of all, sometimes I'm going to end up having to hear all of their psychic experiences all night. And I'm not really in the mood. I'm not on the <laughs> clock right now. I mean, I get paid to sit and talk to people about right. this stuff. And suddenly you hear them at the bar and they're confessing to me the story about this ghost that they saw when they were a kid and never told anyone. And I have compassion for that. But every single time I go out, if that's what I'm going to hear, I don't want to go out anymore. 
Yeah. Let's talk about magic. How does sure. how does how does it work? I mean, you know, most people would have a, a, an image, most likely. Uh, put into their minds through some type of uh, uh, fiction or movie or something that they read or saw, uh, and it's probably not like that at all. So tell tell me how the actual magic part of all of this works. So magic is the act of creating change, and it's using um, the energetic forces around you, the energetic forces of the planet, and um, to actually to um, with through the act of through the creation of a mini ritual will um, basically tell the universe the way you want the world to look. Um, for example, there's a, a spell I did not too long ago to um, help a, uh, a woman get to be with a man she wanted to be with. Um, and so it involved, and he was um, seeing someone else, but he said he wanted to be with her. So, what I did is I got three candles. Two were shaped like women. One was shaped like a man. And um, I faced the I, – I tied the one of the men – I tied the man candle and one of the women candle together back to back to represent the relationship that was uh, problematic. And I had him facing her, um, the uh, woman that, uh, that he wanted – that you know, she said that they wanted to be together. So I burned these candles, and as the candle burned, um, and it got got low enough down, it burned it burned away the twine of the two that I had connected, and then I moved that male candle closer to the female the other female candle, and so they would burn together, so that it would basically clear the obstacles for um, this woman to be with this man. So what I was doing was calling it was calling the focus of the spirits and said, "Listen, this is what we want to see. These two are together, and it's not working out." These two want to be together, so we need you to help separate these two and allow these two to come together. And at first it worked, but um, the problem with the spell was that there was uh, not enough clarity about the man's intentions, and the truth was is that he didn't want either one of them to go anywhere. He wanted to keep both those women in his life. So for a while the spell did work. He, you know, he and that other woman separated, and he and the woman who had come to me we're working on building a relationship. And then the man was like, yeah, actually though, I still want her as well. So um, magic works, but sometimes it doesn't, uh, it doesn't change a mindset. Okay. If I, there are plenty of people in this uh, country that if I could use magic to change their mindset about the, the next political election cycle, I certainly would. But uh, magic doesn't change how, um, how we feel, but it does, pull on energies that are already within us and um, can make um, uh, can make us make different choices and uh, remove obstacles and um, make uh, make the changes we want to see in the world. And it's um, a wonderful thing to have happen when you feel like you're out of options, right? I know for me, um, when my husband and I were living in New York City, um, I was working a really tough job. I, it wasn't paying very well, and my boss was just incredibly difficult. And I felt like my uh, every every um, every other week, I would um, sigh a bit of a relief when I would see my name on the payroll because I was never sure when she was going to fire me. And so I would go home every night and just cry. Um, and so this, but we, you know, we were in a, a tough financial place. So I did a cleansing spell to. Um, cleanse our home of financial negativity. So I created a, um, a floor wash um, with a number of different herbs and some yellow flower petals, which um, 
then I, I prayed over it and I, you know, I, I talked to the spirits and said, help me make this water into a magical brew that will remove the financial negativity from my house. So I started by washing from the back of the apartment all the way and I washed to the front door. So I was like washing all that stuff away and then uh, created a new um, potion, which was to bring financial positivity, which I then threw at my front door. So, <laughs> and there were all these flower petals and herbs stuck to my door, and my my landlord was so mad at me. <laughs> and it, but um, I lost my job a week later, um, and I just had trust. I said, okay. This is part of, actually, maybe it was even, might have been even the day after that, but it was within very short order I was let go. And I was given one month severance, and I was like, all right. Um, and then about two weeks later, I was offered a new job, and that job was to start in two weeks. So the day that my severance ended, my new job began, and it's been the best job I've ever had in my adult life. Oh, wow. Yeah. So it's, and, um, it's, it's been interesting. It's been involving caring for people. It's paid me very well. It's allowed me to travel. And so it was, it was absolutely specifically an embodiment of what I had wanted. I said, get away of financial negativity, which was a job I hated that treated me badly, that didn't pay that well and brought me in financial positivity, which was a job that I loved. And I didn't even know what the job was. Um, I think I had no idea that this kind of job even existed. So it wasn't like, I want this job. It's like, bring me a better job because I need one. And it, it came. And um, the spirits the spirits took care of me. So, yeah. What is the, uh, you say that the magic draws from the energy around you. Is this natural energy? Is this spiritual energy? Is it both? I think it's both. I, I can't see how spiritual energy and natural energy are, are separate from one another. Yeah, I certainly would say it's both. And when you you said you know you gave us a couple of examples of the t- of spells that you uh, uh, encanted or whatever the word would be cast I don't, mm-hmm. I'm not sure what you would say but um, were those something that you had to go to some type of reference to figure out how to do or do you do you uh, think through it figure out what you need to apply to make something happen um, a little of both I read a lot of spell books especially read about what the different um, correspondences for um, um, for different herbs and flowers and what they are traditionally um, known for. Um, usually you can figure out what a, a mag- what a, an herb can do magically is what it tends to do in nature. So, um, for example, um, or you can look into its, um, its folk names. So um, slippery elm is often a, um, an herb that's used to stop gossip, One of the, a very old hoodoo um, spell is to take a cow's tongue um, and you roll it in slippery elm and you draw it and you um, and you hammer a nail through it to stop gossip. And I was curious as to why slippery elm was considered a stop gossip herb. But when I read that one of its folk names is gagweed, that made sense to me because it's literally creating a gag, right? And um, there's uh, – if uh, one day I was um, – I ended up burning a bunch of walnuts while I was baking, and I didn't want to throw them away. So I was trying to think of what walnut can do magically, and so I started reading about what walnuts do. It turns out the walnut tree, um, it's kind of a, excuse my language, the walnut tree is kind of an asshole because it (laughs) drops its walnuts specifically to prevent other plants from growing, right? Like walnuts are kind of like nature's napalm. You know, it doesn't want, 
Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, and so I said, I thought about it and I went, so walnuts can stop competition. That's what it does in nature. That's what it will right. do magically. Right. Right. And um, English ivy. Um, <laughs> so he, the Pacific Northwest, um, constantly are battling with lemon balm and blackberry and uh, English ivy. So lemon balm is, um, is citrusy. It's actually very good for you. It's got a high content of vitamin C. But anything with citrus um, is really clean and cleansing. It cuts through stuff because it's a very cutting herb. So it's a good, um, it's a really good herb for getting rid of, of negative energy or if there's big blockages in your life, like creatively, love-wise, um, you know, with regards to your job front, including some lemon balm, um, you know, perhaps uh, burning it or um, using it as a smoke bath or um, uh, using it as a – I love floor washes. It's one of my favorite things to do with Spellcraft is to create a magical brew and wash the floors with it because I've had some really powerful things happen magically when I do that. Um, but it, so that's some of the uses of lemon balm. Now, blackberry is a literal barrier. Like you can't get through a blackberry hedge. You get stuck. And so it traps things. It can protect you. Things can't get through. So if you have like a hedge of blackberry around your home, nobody's getting in for better or worse. <laughs> right. And so if you want to keep something away, use some blackberry thorns. Right. So you might, if you're, if you've got like a, a, a colleague at work that's making your life miserable and you feel like they're really a threat to you, you get an image of them, you wrap it in blackberry thorn. They can't bother you anymore. They can't get to you. Right. So, and then English ivy can grow anywhere and it can take down a giant tree. So if you need, even though it looks very delicate and unassuming, so um, that's one of the challenges with English ivy is that it looks so pretty. Sometimes people don't get rid of it, and then it can bring down a fence or a house or a tree. And so sometimes that energy is helpful, especially you're trying to climb up the ranks, but you don't necessarily want people to see you as competition because then they're just going to they're going to try to mow you down. So you can using that energy of English ivy to climb the structure that you want to dominate. So th- these are all these are. Um, I make it also very clear you shouldn't be eating English ivy. Um, I wouldn't eat blackberry thorn either. You, you never know. Um, but you can certainly use pieces of it in, um, in your spell work, and it's the, the energy of the plant saying, hey, when you, were, uh, when you were out there being a plant, you were doing these things. Now that you're a dried herb in my, my collection, I invite you to do those things to, um, to this, this, this task that I have in the spiritual form as well. Let's change the topic. Let's talk about your book, The Morgan. What, yeah. what's, the, what's the book about? So the book is about um, one of the, um, an Irish goddess, or sometimes she is known as a collection of goddesses, um, who comes out of Iron Age, Ireland. Um, she is a goddess of uh, many things. She's most famously known for being a goddess of warfare, but um, she is also uh, very much a goddess of, um, of shape-shifting, and she has a, it's funny, uh, she has a relationship with death. Um, some people call her a death goddess. I wouldn't necessarily personally call her a death goddess as much as I might call her a death tour guide or a fairy guide, you know, someone who's, who helps you, on the, helps you cross to the, to the other side. But um, she's not someone who actually brings death or rescue, rescues lots of different souls. Um, she's a very enigmatic goddess, and she's one that a lot of people um, 
were uh, drawn to but were very much afraid of in many ways. Um, and there, there had been a growing cult around the Morgan in many witchcraft traditions. And um, I was drawn to her because, um, because of, of the fear that was surrounding her and because of the restrictions so many people had put in place around her. I wanted to know what the truth was. And I just had a really wonderful time digging really deeply into these old Irish myths um, and uh, creating some retellings that might be a little easier for people to um, to read. Say you're on the bus and you're reading on the way to work. Sometimes uh, you may not have the focus for the the um, the original text, but perhaps a, a very good retelling will help you, you know, embrace the embrace the story and enjoy it a little bit better. Um, and the the depth and um, also seeing what these stories can mean for us now. Um, with the acknowledgement that um, these gods are very different than um, than how they were when they originally um, were revered, but yeah. When you decided to write it, what was the inspiration? And, and I want to ask also about you. You said every, uh, there's a lot of fear based around the uh, Morgan, and you said everyone. I used some pronouns that I'm not sure because I've never heard of the Morgan. So this is new to me. Are you talking about the witch community? Are you talking about Irish um, culture? Who, who's the everybody we're talking about here? Um, yeah, forgive me. Yes, it was. I would say it was the. Um uh, the witchcraft community of all over the world, both within Ireland and outside of it. Um, so, uh, I, I started approaching the Morgan, uh, because a lot of people warned me not to, (laughs) (laughs) they warned me. Yeah. They warned me that if I uh, got involved with her, that I would become very sick or that I might go insane or that, um, she would, would drive, would really take me through a very difficult time. Um, I also, um, and again, because there are there are so many um, people that believe that she should be revered in one specific way and shouldn't be revered in others, um, that I felt that she um, she deserved another look outside of um, what was becoming a bit of orthodoxy that was surrounding her, um, and um, at the same time wanting to give. Um, full credit and um, deference to the original myths that had produced her. So another reason why I wanted to start working on it was when I was um, traveling a lot and was visiting different witchcraft stores, I would um, hear that the the story that um, people most, um, I mean, the story that the books that people were most interested in were books on the Morgan, which I was surprised to hear because um, there are a lot of really good books on the Morgan already on the market. But perhaps people had already read those, or they just um, their publisher weren't getting them the def- you know to the the demographic that they that they needed to. So I um, wrote um, wrote this one as um, you know another uh, as another um, resource for people who are um, interested in getting to know this goddess. Uh, I think she's drawing a lot of witches to her. Many witches today would probably consider themselves to be very deity centric. Um, and in belief that they have uh, gods and goddesses that um, work with them or through them or guide them. And I certainly count myself among them. I'm very much a deity-focused witch. And um, these um, uh, the Morgan is drawing a lot of attention these days. I think we, as uh, people around the world, are feeling um, very much, uh, are feeling very frustrated and disempowered. We, you know, we've had a rise in... Um, 
in global fascism, a rejection of democracy, um, certainly attacks on the climate um, and feeling powerless over the, uh, the state of where the environment is going. Um, so there was a real desire, I think, among many people to um, um, embrace the goddess of, with these sorts of traits. What do you, when, when, when somebody picks up the book and if they have no knowledge of these ideas or this, you know, the concepts that you're talking about in the book, what do you hope they walk away with? Ooh, um, I hope they walk away with um, a deep understanding. I mean, I feel like if they pick up the book, the Morgan is already calling to them. And I think that I would hope that they, um, they can understand more about what that, that calling is about. We have just a couple minutes left. Um, you obviously have written other books as well. Is there an order in which you prefer people to read your work, or can they pick up any of the ones that happen to interest them and read them in any order? Oh, they can absolutely pick them up in any order. I have a new one coming out in 2021 called Hecate, the Goddess of Witches. And um, I think different gods and goddesses you know, pull to different people. They certainly don't go in sequence. Um, you know, I do share a lot of my personal journey in my books. And so, um, I, I don't think that's why people are picking up. I think they're picking up the books to read about, um, the goddesses, but, uh, you know, my, my personal journey does come in a bit of sequence there, but I don't think you, you have to read Bridget before you read the Morgan. I think you should read the book that you want to read. Life is short. So you should read the <laughs> one that you want to read, you know, one that's calling to you. And once again, let people know where they can find all of your work. So my website is CourtneyAWeber.com. Um, again, I, I also blog on Patheos. My blog is called Double Toil and Resist. And if people are interested in knowing more about witchcraft, especially life living as a witch, I really encourage people to listen to my podcast, which is called That Witch Life. I record it with my two best friends of like 20-some years. So we've got a lot of old camaraderie there, and we always have on really exceptional guests uh, talking about um, – different ways to practice witchcraft in different walks of life um, in, in the witch world. And, uh, you know, again, ask for my books at your local uh, metaphysical or independent bookstore. And if you can't buy them there, you know, it's fine to order them online. Um, but just leave us a re- leave me a review. And you can also find me on Twitter at The Coco Witch, Instagram, um, The Coco Witch. Um, and I'm also Facebook, uh, Courtney Weber is my author page. And I generally respond pretty quickly. If you ask me a really tough, juicy question, it might take me a couple days to get back to you. But, you know, uh, look forward to hearing from people. And I'm really, really thankful you had me on the show. Courtney, thank you so much for being here. Very interesting conversation. We look forward to having you back sometime soon. Anytime. Beyond Reality Paranormal is hosted by J.V. Johnson and produced by Orion Palmer and Slick Eddie Edwards. Like us on Facebook and subscribe to our YouTube channel. Please consider supporting the program either through your podcast platform, click on the link in the description, or on Patreon at Joha Productions. If you'd like to be a guest on Beyond Reality Paranormal or you have a recommendation for a guest, contact our producer, Slick Eddie Edwards. Eddie is spelled with a Y at slickeddieedwards at gmail.com.